Um, I, I want to kind of open up the, the floor a little bit. We have a little bit of extra time. I've got a really uh, first time, fresh bread word I've never shared before, but it's been on me for a couple of weeks, and the Lord's been really provoking things in me about it. But it, did somebody get a sense of uh, what the Lord was doing during the service? Coming up, Joel. Yeah, okay, Jeff. Yeah, I would love to hear just what you were sensing the Spirit was doing. Hey, morning, everyone. Uh, the sense uh, that I'm getting this morning, uh, kind of something that I've been carrying lately, and that's putting myself out there um, in life in situations where normally I'd be have a spirit of fear or withdrawal. Um, Aly Alyssa kind of confirmed that with um, what she shared this morning. She could have taken those burdens that she was carrying and kind of stuffed them and worked on them with maybe just at home and throwing them all on Miko, you know, <laughs> pray for Miko for what he's experiencing. No, um, but, you know, she didn't withdraw. She, she just said, you know what, this is my family. I need, I need to share this. And I think it's important for all of us to remember you don't have to carry it alone. And uh, I think Charlie or someone brought that up. But um, we think, hey, who's going to care about a kid I grew up with going through something bad, you know. Well, a friend of Charlie's is a friend of mine, and a brother of Charlie's is a brother of mine, and a brother of Jesus is a brother of mine. So I want to hear about everything in all of your lives. Mm -hmm. And we need to fully understand that and commit to it with each other. So that's just a sense I'm getting that. Um, I love this church because I think everyone is open, mm -hmm. but I think sometimes we forget that you think you're open, but you might not believe your neighbor's open. So just remember, it's an open community, and and uh, and it's awesome. You know, we, we have this huge family. It's worldwide. Even we have brothers and sisters who aren't saved yet. You know, call them half brothers and sisters, if you will. Uh, so so remember to uh, share with your family, and uh, they'll be there for you. All right. Um, well, mine's similar to that. <laughs> uh, our family's been through quite a bit here this last month. Um, well, actually longer than that. My son went through quite a bit here recently. Our son-in-law went through something recently that was almost tragic. Um, both of them, actually. And... Uh, I guess this last song really, really hit me. This last weekend we went to the prayer summit and I just kept getting hit through it and this morning it just culminated, I guess. The goodness of God. I love that line, the goodness of God is running after us. No matter how fast we run away from him, his goodness is running after us just as fast. His goodness is always waiting for us to stop, turn around, and embrace it. He, he, he doesn't give us his goodness because of how good we are. He doesn't bless us because of how good we are. 
His blessings are constant. All the time. We just don't see it. We don't always see it. He has blessed all of us with families and just everything. And it just made me contemplate on that, that his goodness and blessings are always coming from him. They never stop. Sometimes it's like the Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the roar there is, I've never heard it before. Not like that. The roar of that water coming down, it just reminded me of how God just constantly roars over us his blessings and his goodness. No matter what we do, we can receive it better, though, when we follow what he says. Every word that comes from his mouth, from his spirit to ours, we just have to follow it. Obedience. And when we do, we get to receive his goodness. We get to receive his blessings so much easier. So I just thank you, God, for your goodness over my family. That's all of you. I just, I just thank you, God, that your goodness overwhelms us at times. Make us more open. Make us more receptive to your goodness and your blessings upon us so that we can just give it to others for those half-brothers and half-sisters. Hmm. Oh, John um, slipped and fell, John Parrott, oh. last night, and... Uh, he was laying on the ground, he tripped. He was over, uh, uh, gonna go over and help Robin's dogs because <laughs> they're lonely. <laughs> and um, anyway, as he was getting out of his truck, he slipped and fell. And uh, so uh, I prayed over him this morning over his leg and it got slightly better, he said. So we just lift up John, his knee, his ankle, and we just speak healing, total 100% healing in Jesus' name. Yeah. And uh, John, if you're listening, I just, I just ask you to step out and step on it again and test it to see what God is doing. His goodness is over you, John. His goodness is over your household. His goodness and his love complete you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the trustworthy saying, God is good, he's better than you think. You're never going to overestimate the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, or the ability of God to even do the impossible. I, I don't know about you guys, but my faith is getting a little feisty. I want to begin to trust him in areas where I sort of gave up. Well, God, this area is just stuck, this is my cross to bear. I, no, I, I don't want to think that way anymore. Until I hear from him, what he says and who he is is the only thing I can trust. So I loved, again, what, uh, what Alyssa said. Anybody else? Did you get a sense of something? Yep. Run, Marilyn, run. Bound up the stairs. 
My, heel, my knees got healed last night at the prayer summit, so I was in excruciating pain. Could barely walk around there. But I just wanted to add on to what Jeff said, that John told us he was laying on the ground, and John can't get up. He's severely injured, and he has really bad back problems. So he's laying there, no one around. We were, Abraham was already gone. And amazingly... God somehow brought a pizza delivery driver <laughs> down the street, yeah, right across the street from there, and saw him laying there, and he came over and helped him get up. So wow. God is so good. Wow. Wow. It's a Jeff and Marilyn show. Oh, here we go. Good. Thank you. I'd just like to say, ooh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, that... Uh, the Lord is more than anything that we could imagine. You know, we think his mercy is wonderful a lot of times and, and everything, but we have no idea how merciful he is. And one time I was in Israel, and one night the Lord totally revealed to me about how wondrous he is, his, his personality. You know, his faithfulness, his goodness, his, his grace, his kindness, all the things about him that are just so awesome. And then another night, he was totally revealing how even the worst of the worst, he still wants. Mm. He doesn't ever just say, get away from me. He, he totally wants them. Well, anyway, I had a situation in my family for quite a few years where, uh, well, first of all, my youngest son went to be with the Lord when he was nine. Mm. And one day after he had gone to be with the Lord, I, in the spirit, sensed, well, he was there in heaven, you know, with the Lord, and I was down here with the Lord, and so that we were not separated, even though he had mm. passed away, uh, we were still one spirit, mm. you know, in the Lord. Well, many years later, my oldest son uh, passed away, and I didn't know he was going to pass away this one particular day, but what happened, this, and this was a son that had really been walking away from the Lord for a long time. And uh, so here, and he got cancer, and he was on the way out of this life. But I didn't know how soon it would be. And uh, anyway, I was there in my living room one morning, and uh, suddenly I had that same type of experience that I had had with my youngest son when the Lord showed that to me about our oneness in the Lord. And I, in the spirit, I, I got there, my other son, my older son, and... Uh, than me, and then it's like there was a black thing in front of my oldest son, and you know, which in other words represented the enemy that was working in his life. And suddenly, as that was, you know, being made real to me, the black thing left. Mm. And I said, he's gotten right with the Lord. Mm. Wow. And 
you know, I didn't know it was going to be that day that he was going to be passing away. But I believe what happened was that when he left this life and was entering into eternity, there was only one person there, which was Jesus. And as he saw the Lord and as he was in his presence there, that he realized that some of the decisions he had made because of anger, because of judgment he had put on people, uh, and so forth, and that caused him then to go in wrong directions, that he suddenly realized mm. that he had made a mistake and that he repented. Wow. And that even as he had, you know, th that path going from this life to, the, to eternity, that the Lord gave him that opportunity of repenting and getting right with him and so I believe he's in heaven today. Mm. And, but mm. it just so hugely, hugely revealed to my heart mm. just how gracious our God is yeah. and how he wants every one of us. And he mm. said to me one time, uh, I'm washing your feet. That was, I was laying on the couch in my house. And he said, uh, you know, I, I did everything to get you in. I'm not trying to push you out. <laughs> and he would say that to all of us, you know. Uh, he wants us. He longs for us. And uh, hallelujah. Uh, there's never a time to give up on his goodness. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. We, who knows that our God is a God of second chances? Yeah. You know what? I, I pray for myself and I pray for you. We, Lori and I have opportunities every week to share with people and pray with people in our car. But I want to get really good at bragging about Jesus. Just because you, you can't oversell and underdeliver who Jesus really is, the difference he makes in everyone's life. We were at home group a few weeks ago and Gloria had been praying and just, Gloria, I, I saw you know, the unction of the spirit just so resting on you and your heart was just crying out that you know, it's God's will that none would perish and that we need to pray that in and not assume that like you to son or anybody else that God doesn't already have a plan for and a heart for. So, Father, we just thank you so much for every prodigal, every person, even the people who offend us, the ones who it seems like it's impossible. God, each life is significant to you. And it's your desire that none would perish separated from your love and your presence. And so, Father, we just ask for that heart for the lost. We ask for that burden for our children. We ask for that desire to contend for our coworker, Lord. Help us not be complacent. You've been so, so good in each of our lives that we want you to be just as good to those who surround us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'll worry about the announcements and the offering at the end, but Lori, remind me, because I'll probably space out. Yeah, it's nice when you can plan to space out, you know? You see it coming. Uh, it'll be after my third ending, too. Okay. <laughs>
No, I, I hope you're all regularly in your Bible. Um, there are times where nothing nourishes, nothing feeds, nothing stirs my heart the way that God's Word can. And especially when you approach it in faith every day, just, Lord, what do you want to reveal to me? How do you want to show me who you are from your Word? And uh, for me, it's probably the most consistent, life-giving experience I have. Sometimes i got to go in my worship corner and work it out, you know, and, and declare words that my, my faith isn't really quite connecting with, but I'll get there. You know, other times it's just pouring my heart out before the Lord. Sometimes it's a divine encounter where the Lord whoosh just subjectively rushes into my life and speaks something to my heart, like when Lori heard dwell in the land and the oppression almost, the turmoil that she was under broke like that from a personal word you can get from the Lord. But the word of God is eternal. It is the anchor. It is the thing everything else has to be tested by. And so, you know, I try to regularly read through the Bible. I read the passages I don't like, you know, I don't just ignore them. Uh, and I've been working my way through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, so um, this is a passage that has stirred me now for the last several weeks, and I really, it's so relevant to everything we've talked about, about living together as a community, being there for each other in our good and our struggling times. And, uh, you know, for Miko's sake, the, the title of this is A Lifestyle of Family. And what is God's intention for us as sons and daughters to reflect his character? Uh, is that a amen or is that a turn it up, Charlie? A family. A lifestyle of family. So 1 Thessalonians 5.14. This is one of those incredibly dense passages where there's so much good in just literally one sentence. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Father, we thank you so much for your pursuit of each of our lives. We thank you for your goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our life. We thank you that you pursued us and you sent your son to reconnect yourself with your kids. You tore down the wall of sin that separated us. You broke the power of death. You declared newness of life over each one of us, and we can never say thank you enough. We can never fully comprehend all that we've been forgiven of. And we just thank you so much that you've set us into a family. You take the orphans, the widows, and you bring them into community and bring them into family. So just teach us from your word today, personally, how to apply these concepts, these simple thoughts, this admonishment to our own hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it starts with we. So what's a good question? Who's the we? And it's actually Paul and Silvanius, who's actually named Silas in the in Acts, and Timothy are sending this letter to the people in Thessalonica. And so this is a part of Paul's second missionary trip. Do you remember where a man from Macedonia is saying, come, come here to us? Well, Paul responded to that. He went one place, no, that's not it. Finally, he goes to Philippi, and he proclaims the gospel. The whole town is stirred up, and he causes a ruckus. So they beat him, and they unrightly 
arrest him, and then they find out in Philippi that he is a Roman citizen. So they just did an illegal, unlawful thing to somebody, and they got scared, and they asked Paul uh, to bug out. Would you just please, your troublemaker, leave the city? So where does he go from Philippi? He goes to Thessalonica. So uh, he goes into that town. He goes to the synagogues like he normally did, and he is preaching Jesus in the synagogues as Jesus the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. But also there are some unbelievers who are part of the synagogue for whatever reason, Greeks, who also are hearing his message and who also are responding to the gospel. And so um, Thessalonica turns out to be, uh, it's like 90 miles away from Philippi, and it became the second major city on the European continent for a a church to become established. And... uh, and then people from Philippi show up, and they talk about Paul. And I love this quote in Acts, by the way. In Acts 17, he said, hey, these are the people that are what? Turning the world upside down. It makes me think of Hamilton a little bit, you know. But even better, because it's the whole world for all time. This message of God's forgiveness, of God's grace to the, the Jews and to the Greeks and to the whole world. The whole world is starting to respond to it. So what happens? They have to sneak out of Thessalonica after they have some people get saved. They go out in the night and they wind up in Berea where the Bereans were and the same experience. Now first off, if I was a reporter for uh, Christian News Today, I would possibly think, you know, Paul, maybe you should give up this whole missionary thing. You keep getting kicked out of everywhere you go. God can use what looked like our negative circumstances to us. He was not ushered in and put a laurel on his head and, oh, you're bringing us the words of life. The people who were to receive the truth received it, and seeds were planted that were eternal. But if you look with just a natural outside mind, you're going to think, Paul, you know, you kind of, you stink at this. You know, you've had one failure after another. And yet God doesn't see things the way that we do, does he? So, by the way, he gets kicked out of um, Thessalonica, and now he's sitting finally, I believe, in Athens, and he's wondering, I wonder what happened to those people that got saved in Thessalonia. And so he kept wanting to go back, but he was prevented from going, and so he sends Timothy. And Timothy comes back with this outrageous good report of you have no idea, they are living in faith, the church is growing, it's influencing the whole city. Paul's heart rejoices and he writes 1 Thessalonians to the church as a celebratory letter, how grateful he is that faith is alive and real in that city. And so this is actually, he talks about different aspects of faith and living in it, but this is Paul's heart, like, okay, now that you've become a community, now that you're a have your influential in your surroundings. Here's how you live as a family. Here's how you allow the life that Jesus brought into you to be passed down to other people. So I love this um, when it says admonish the unruly. I dug into that a little bit and admonish is pretty much what it sounds like. Warn people. And is that me? No problem. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a catchy little song. Um, so 
how, how good are you? My first thought, by the way, let's, once we, you're, you're fine. <laughs> Um, my first thought was, okay, Paul, these, this must be instructions to leaders. But in reality, this is an instruction to all believers. We all have a responsibility. Oh, but I haven't been given authority to admonish anybody. Well, it depends what you think admonish means. You know, if it means to warn them, hey, by the way, your lifestyle is contrary to what Jesus taught, and a lifestyle that's going to be beneficial for you and for those around you, do you love somebody enough to bring a godly confrontation into their life? Or what would prevent you from being willing to admonish? To, and by the way, the word unruly, that one I looked up because it shows up later. A very similar word is the disobedient, um, the disor uh, disorderly. And that word unruly is, means a lot of different things. It, it means, let me just read it first, unruly is disorderly, neglectful of duties, disobedient, insubordinate, out of alignment, like a soldier who's out of step with other people he's marching with. So what it means you're unruly, you're not wanting any authority over your life, you're not wanting to stay in step with the way the army is moving. It actually is more of a military term almost, than anything else. Um, and later on in 2 Thessalonians, it's used about people who are refusing to work. Well, Jesus is coming, so I shouldn't work. I should just be about, you know, whatever, preaching the gospel. And, and he says some people have become gossips. They've become unruly because they're not willing to, uh, in that case, follow the order to, no, be productive, have something to give to those who are in need. And so... Um, is that hard for you guys? How do you know when somebody is unruly? How do you know when they're disorderly? What does that even look like? Would you know if you saw it? By the way, think about parenting. Anybody ever have an unruly or disorderly kid? Yeah? And, and you know what you should do? You should really just turn the other cheek, show forgiveness, ignore their rebellion. Their disobedience isn't really going to matter. It shouldn't affect your family. Come on! You have a responsibility if you're committed to the best interest and the welfare of that child. Well, what makes us think we don't have the same responsibility to brothers and sisters, right? If we're going to be the kind of family, I, I have come to so appreciate, you know, Miko and some of his more confrontational ways. I, it took a little bit of adjusting. The day that that little guy it was in my office and said, Charlie, sometimes I worry about how you deal with disappointment. It's like, shut up, you're bugging me. But it made me think about it. I had to look at, wait, do I just run away from it? Do I try to confront it? Do I, what, how, how do I respond to disappointment? He was so faithful. You know, uh, iron sharpening iron is a real deal unless the iron decides I have no voice and I need to shut up. Then you're not allowing that process to move forward. Hmm. There's so much here. I, I, Miko and I were talking about it earlier, and he hasn't made this decision, so I shouldn't out him, so I will. Um, he, someday, because we live in Portland, Oregon, you do realize we're not the Bible Belt. People do not like the idea of anyone having authority. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. No, we all have an equal vote. 
How many of you in your workplace, does your boss say, oh, we all have an equal vote? Is that how authority works? Authority is delegated, whether it's to a judge, a police officer, a teacher, whoever. I heard something once about authority I liked a whole lot. How many of you have garbage service at your house? You hired that garbage person, right? And they work for you. But if the garbage person says, look, the only way we can collect the garbage is if you pull it out on the street and you leave it right here so we can quickly do it. And you go, I'm paying for you. You're not the boss of me, garbage man. I'm going to put my trash where I want to put it. You're now not under the authority of that garbage man because he has delegated authority, even from God, over your garbage. Who are you really going to have a problem with? Besides not having your garbage picked up, now God is like, hey, you're unruly, you're disorderly, you're causing a problem because you don't know how to live rightly in authority. You don't know how to live rightly under the authority that you have. Parents who are passive are destroying their children, right? And parents who are authoritarian are equally doing harm. So where is that sweet spot where you know, wait a minute, I have to be an authoritative person. I need to speak appropriately, without control, toward issues that I see are destructive toward people in my life. It takes faith. It, ta it takes courage. In fact, by the way, you know the verse that says where two or three are gathered, he's there in your midst? Do you know what the context of that verse is? It's confrontation. If if you have to rebuke somebody, go alone, bring a witness, bring them before the church. And so after he lays out this whole thing of here's how you confront the right way, then he goes, oh, and by the way, where two or three are gathered, you know why? Because you got to know, if I'm going to walk in authority, loving authority that God has delegated to me, i got to know he has my back. I've got to know he's in the midst of my love and concern for the welfare. Am I, am I connecting? Yeah? Okay. Authority is huge, and you can work really well in one area or another area, but then some other areas you can get out of, and the best term in this for me, unruly, is alignment. So I'll just put it this way, abiding place. We have a culture. We have a style of ministry that we believe honors God, that we have been raised in. We love the prophetic. We love worship. We love, you know... It, Everything. I mean, there are many, many things we love and we want to support missions and we want to support evangelism, but there are things that we're passionate about. And if somebody comes along and says, yeah, but you're really neglecting this area and this is the area I'm passionate about and abiding place should be this, but if God didn't call us to that, but they're like, well, then I'm going to be a voice to make sure that you guys are doing this part of ministry the way that I want. They're stepping out of alignment with our history, our heritage, and who we're called to be, right? I mean, and if they do it badly enough, well, I don't care then. I'm going to talk to other people, and I've got to convince them that, you know, what you've been building, what you're pursuing isn't the most important thing. Now they've become divisive, you know, and it's, it's worse than you not supporting your trash man at that point because you're coming against the unity of the body of Christ. And you know what? It takes sensitivity to go, wait a minute, how far out of alignment are you? Are we talking about a dislocated shoulder here? What kind of pain is this going to cause? Or is this just a little kind of adjustment where your heart's still in the right place and you just didn't, you know, whatever. Um, I love that because it has that military concept which is so offensive in our tofu-eating, nobody's-the-boss-of-me environment here. 
you know, I probably have hammered this point more than I should. So we, what's that? Tofu. Hey, we ate tofu when we were on the Daniel fast. It's the opposite. Military eats meat. No, I, I don't know that. I discovered what a meat lover I was during the Daniel fast. So, um, anyway, those. I just. I, I'm going to put a challenge and an act, an activation thing in front of all of us at the very end here. But I do want you to think, even now, just let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind: Are you willing to confront your child, your spouse, your neighbor, a brother or sister? when the, you can see their life is coming out of alignment, what's going to be in their best interest for their healing and for their life. And you have authority from the Lord to go lovingly and just put it before them. Here's my concern. Do with it what you will. But if we don't even speak, you know what one of the greatest uh, destroyers of effectiveness and of unity is? Uh, unhealthy peace. I don't want to cause any problems. Maybe you're carrying a piece of the puzzle that we all need, but if you don't want to seem like you're out of alignment or bringing a different issue, then if, when you stay quiet, then we don't have that part that only you can bring. So I'm not saying it's instant submission and obedience. It's being fully present and then giving. Uh, so I'll, I'll illustrate it one last time. God love him. Uh, I had... Pastor Richard Probosco in my life for 25 years, and he is a big guy in every way possible, spiritually, physically. And when you got hugged by Richard, you knew you were hugged. And, uh, but he was big in terms of leadership, too, and I, for a long time, was his number two guy. And so uh, there was an issue we were talking about in leadership, and we knew what Richard was thinking of doing. And there were a number of people who tried to talk to him about it, and, and he started to get sensitized, like people were trying to tell him what to do. So finally, in my weekly meeting, I'm like, okay, I need to let him know my concerns. So I walk up, so Richard, and you know that thing about that, and I'll never forget, he sat up in his chair, he looked at me, goes, now Charlie, like that, and like pointed his finger, and I'm like, eh, backpedal, run away, run away, you know, he's, he's a spiritual authority in my life. It was, it was a huge moment of conflict and opportunity in me. I hope you can put yourself there. And I said, Richard, I just want to let you know, I have a responsibility to tell you what I see, what my concerns are, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, and I'm going to give that to you, and then whatever your final decision is, I'm going to submit to it and support it and try to help it succeed. But if I can't tell you the concerns I have, then I'm not doing my job. And I'll never forget. I mean, he was really amped already, and then he just like, Oh, okay. So he sat back, and we had a talk, and the decision got modified, you know? That, for me, was the most... What about how do you admonish somebody who's in authority over you? Was I being unruly, or was I fulfilling my responsibility and willing to submit to that final... That's, that's as good... This isn't even in my notes. You guys are getting extra credit right here. That's about the best illustration I have personally. So I, I love that. So hold that in your heart for a moment. And then what does it mean to uh, encourage the faint-hearted? I, I love the idea of encouragement. And for me, the definition that I've landed on 
is to bring someone into courage. Where they're lacking hope, they're lacking courage, they're lacking the feistiness they need to still keep believing and wrestling for life, how do you bring them into that place where you can trust God in this? God is working and he is good. You can trust him. Here's what that might look like. Here's a great story. Here's a principle. Whatever you can do. And by the way, the side note, as I was reading through these three areas of admonishing and encouraging and helping, I don't know of a more practical area of ministry and a greater Holy Spirit tool than prophecy. If you can speak the truth to someone who's in authority who needs to hear it, if you can speak a word that's going to bring them into courage and boldness when they're faint-hearted and their faith is waning, come on, what does that better than? Anybody get a good word of prophecy? Well, like, that was a prophetic encounter Lori had at that intensive. Oh, Lori, dwell in the land. Whoa! Courage, boldness, faith just rose up in her heart and dispelled all the lies and all the everything else that was kind of clouding her judgment. So um, I don't know of a better way to bring in, I, well, 1 Corinthians, the instruction for New Testament prophecy, encouragement, edification, and comfort. That is the New Testament healing salve that I think Paul is actually referring to and encouraging people to grow in in this passage. That's just a side note for your benefit. Uh, what does it mean to be faint-hearted, though? Another biblical word for it is to be timid. So do you ever feel intimidated by your circumstances, by an individual? Do you ever need to have somebody kind of hmm, buck you up, you know, encourage you that it, it can be okay, and you're only responsible to do the part you're supposed to do. Focus on that. Don't worry about the outcome. Are they going to receive me? Do they respect me? All of that's just a head trip. You're only responsible to do what the Lord is telling you to do to bring encouragement, especially to somebody who's timid or faint-hearted. It honestly makes me think about Timothy and Paul's instruction to his beloved son, and he goes, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. That word fear in that passage is timidity. God didn't make you to be intimidated by other people or by other circumstances where your heart gives out, where you no longer want to walk in faith or in a trusting way before me. So have you ever seen somebody pooped out? We have people who are pooped out just from serving so much over this weekend. So they don't need to be admonished. They don't need to kick in the pants. They need, oh God, just Pour your goodness out in their lives. Uh, my, my old friend, uh, Mark Jones from City Bible, he, he shared a message at a, a class we were in one time at our old church. And he said, you know, primarily people need two things. They either need filling or they need fighting. So the faint-hearted, they need filling up with words of hope and encouragement and it's going to be okay and you can trust God. God is good. He's better than you think. That, that's, that's a tonic to me. It's like, okay, I, I still believe that. I really do. So uh, fighting is where you're willing to carry the burden for them into God's presence and intercede and put yourself in their shoes and just go, no, we're not laying down. We're not going to yield to lies. We're not going to let Satan you know, have influence in this area. Holy Spirit, come rest on that person, strengthen and revitalize and encourage and give revelation everything they need, God, to according to your riches and glory, every need met. 
Wow, do you know how to fight for people like that in prayer when they're faint-hearted? That's a pretty good word. I, I didn't plan that. Those are just like feisty words that are coming out right now even. So the th- third area is to help the weak. And uh, do you guys ever get tired of people being weak? Do you ever feel like, what's wrong? You know, why don't you just pick yourself up by your own bootstraps? You know, life's not easy for me either. I don't know about you, but unruly I don't like to confront, and sometimes I let my fear of man get in the way. Sometimes the faint-hearted, it's easier for me to want to encourage them, and yes, you can, and I believe in you. But the people who don't have the resources who genuinely are weak physically. In this passage, it's talking more morally weak. They yield to persecution. You know, they yield to temptation. Spiritually, they're still weak. And what about you who are spiritually strong? Do you judge them? Do you come out of a, you know, just... Well, not everybody has the same... (laughs) So I don't know about you, but for me... Over the years, I've had to guard my own heart because I can resent the weak. It's like, oh, you know, now it's going to become a burden for me, and why do I have to take care? He me, me, he me, me. And I put myself back on the throne of my own heart, and, and it's not fair to put that. It's like when somebody's immature. To expect your 14-year-old child to have a fully developed adult mature brain and understand the consequences of their stupidity... It's not reasonable, right? And there are some people who are literally, they're just weak, whether it's intellectually, financially, physically. So to, to realize, I just want to help. I just, what, I'm not going to blame them for the weakness. I'm not going to worry about if it's inconvenient for me. Uh, I was in Toronto once, and I got offended by basically weak, weak people. They, they, the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully back in that season, that they would literally have the ministry time, and there could be 1,500 to 2,000 people standing on the prayer lines. Can you imagine the ministry team you need for that? And, and they had to all be trained. You had to be approved. You couldn't just, they didn't pick people out of the crowd. And so people would stand there for an hour or two or three waiting to receive prayer. They were that hungry. And so they'd have their hands up, and I, would, well, I was able to catch. I was able to listen to what they were doing. I wasn't at that. I got released later to be on the ministry team, but I wasn't for quite a long time. So I'm listening, though, and I'm ministering, and I would see people get touched by the Holy Spirit. Boom, they'd go out. I would catch them, set them down gently. And then I would watch as we walk away, and this person would pop right back up again and then put their hands back out. It's like, you just got, you know, what are you doing? What kind of a spiritual hog are you? You know, and... Uh, so later on, I talked to one of the guy I was praying with, and uh, we're going to, no, it's fine. Uh, I, I went to the leader that I was praying with, and I said, doesn't that ever offend you? Don't you get upset when, when they just come, and they always want to take, and they want to take, and they get back up and like, pray for me again. And, and he looked at me surprised, I'll never forget, he said, Charlie, as long as you have something to give, there will always be someone there to take. You, you can't get frustrated with people who have a need because there'll always be people with a need. The question is, what can and should I give? And Lord, let me just be generous in how much I'm able and willing to give. 
Does that make sense? I don't know why, but that settled it for me. It's like, oh, okay, as long as I have something to give, there'll be somebody there to take. And uh, it honestly, this is the only verse I really want to refer to. Uh, it makes me think about Galatians chapter six, 6, where it says that we're to bear one another's burdens. That really has to do with those who are weak. Anybody ever been in a point in your life where you could not carry the burden by yourself? Anybody? Ever go through a divorce? Ever? Financially? Intellectually? Spiritually? Emotionally? Yeah. Was, was there a burden that you couldn't bear? It's a, our responsibility to be willing to help lift that person up with the burden that they cannot do themselves. I do love, read the passage later, but I love that it continues to explain to make sure that each person bears their own load. Because when you carry a burden for a person that they're supposed to carry, you're now robbing them of their dignity. You're robbing them of the faith they need to begin to trust in God. You're giving charity instead of bearing a burden in a way that's going to support them and help build them up. So I, I love that encouragement, but that's all expressed toward people in their state of weakness. But the last part of this, I believe, I love this. Um, is this, this is practical, isn't it? So you want to admonish the unruly, confront them. You want to uh, encourage the faint-hearted. You want to help those who are weak without judging them. But in all of these areas, what's the fuel that's really going to make it work? You've got to be patient with all. Your irritability, your lack of uh, patience basically means long-suffering. It means it's the opposite of hasty anger or desiring punishment. And it means to forbear. I love that old word. Do you know what forbearance is? It's where you overlook the weakness or the sin of another person. Did God forbear any of your sins? Did he overlook any of your weaknesses? Yeah? <laughs> Maybe. Well, we hope he did. By the way, it's also uh, not being patient. It's the opposite of losing faith or giving up. When you finally just, okay, I give up. It, the situation's never going to change. When you lose faith, you've lost your patience to see God's goodness. If it isn't good yet, God isn't done yet. Is that right? Unless you lose faith or patience for that situation. And then all of a sudden you can advocate, just uh, uh, whatever. Yeah. So here's where I want to challenge you at the end. Please, please, I mean, if we're going to become the people God wants us to be and have the influence he wants to reflect his goodness to us and through us to others, Take these areas to heart and let God begin to stir in you, God, what do I need to do to activate these areas in my life? Which one do you think you need the most? Are you good at admonishing? Do you have a gift of encouragement? Do you ever get frustrated helping the weak? What area? Are you patient, impatient with everybody? Do your kids push your patience buttons? You know, these are really good questions to be asking and to be trusting God to build you. But here's some of the thoughts that I had. To be willing to admonish other people, 
I think one of the greatest areas that we need to deal with is breaking our fear of man. Our desire to not help somebody who's being disorderly, unruly, out of alignment in some area of their life, if you're afraid of their reaction, you're making their reaction bigger than what God may say to you or have you do in that situation. Are you afraid of broken relationship? Oh no, I don't want to risk that friendship. They mean too much to me, so I'm going to let them suffer without my correction or input. I believe when you're going to admonish somebody, you have to work to keep your heart in the right place. That you're admonishing them not out of anger, but out of genuine concern. Has anyone ever come up to you and you could tell, oh my gosh, they're doing this because they care about me. The walls of defensiveness come down. But I've had, anyone ever had the opposite? Someone's admonishing you because they're ticked off and you have frustrated them? Not real beneficial. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there are times it takes hours. It takes prayer. I, I lie to myself. Oh, my heart's in the right place. But I know there's that finger of judgment pointing at them. That frustration or that resentment for even having to deal with this situation. And so, you know what I do? There's a simple filter for, ad, for going in confrontation and for admonishing somebody. Lord, what's in their best interest? If you get yourself out of the equation altogether and you can really get your heart to the place of, I only want what's really going to be good for Lori, even though I'm so ticked off. So I figured I could get away with that one with you, yeah. So isn't that good? I mean, for me, that's, that's encourages me to move forward in that area. And then to bring somebody into courage, that's just, yes, you can, to believe in them. Well, you remember when you went through this other situation and you have had such perseverance and I think you have a gift of faith and I see this quality and, you know, God's really growing something in you and you know what? He is a God of the impossible. So let's just take that person in that situation. Let's, let's agree together right now that God has a strategy for you. God knows the plans. Oh, he saw this coming. There's nothing that you ever have to feel victimized by because you don't have to control the situation or the person. You've got to control yourself and God will give you the grace and the mercy to do that. That is a very freeing message, in my opinion. You know, how? Oh, shoo. And what about helping other people? Well, first off, don't judge or resent them because of their weakness. And by the way, uh, I'm going to read this. Uh, I was thinking about when you're trying to help people, and I didn't talk very much about the practical ways that we help, but at the heart of it, what is helping another person? Isn't it showing unselfish kindness? Isn't it acts of random kindness that you're doing for that person? You're meeting a need, you're spending the time, you're, you're uh, personally available, and Kindness takes a really bad rap. I think some people think kindness is weak. Oh, you're just, you're always giving to everybody whether you should give or not, and you're, you know, and, and people need, sometimes they do need to be admonished, but I was journaling recently, and here's what the Lord told me about kindness. Um, he said, first off, kindness. It's not as common as you think. It is far more powerful than you think. It reveals my nature. It releases my presence into circumstances and the hearts more than you realize. My goodness is my glory, 
Kindness is the expression of my goodness. My kindness expresses itself through, my kindness expressed through anyone releases shockwaves of my presence. It tears down walls, it abolishes lies. Do not take it for granted, this strategic weapon. You have kindness in your life. Can you believe shockwaves of my presence when you do an act of kindness? You're actually revealing to that person in that service the nature of his goodness. Now, do you think he'll back that up? Yeah, I think so. And when it comes to patience, I just want to challenge you, remember how patient God is and has been toward you. And that's the foundation for the kindness that we can show to others. But I want to challenge you with one last thing. It's so important that we show patience to others. But I think in many, many ways, many of us need to learn how to show patience to ourselves. Because God is long-suffering toward us. And we can even at times sacrificially be patient toward others. But if we don't learn how to be patient and forgiving toward ourselves, we become frustrated and bitter. And the people who don't know how to forgive themselves get trapped in not being able to forgive others. Is that true? It's been true for me. The, the, the bitter people, they don't know how to accept God's own forgiveness within their own lives. And then their hearts harden up and wall up. So, if you feel, I'm going to pray a quick prayer, because this has been, oh, uh, announcements? Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. I, I've been squandering time. So, um, wow, that's loud. Um, you know there have been a number of words over abiding place. There have been words over the church about expansion. Um, uh, words over abiding place about us being a safe place. There's words about the kingdom coming, the revival coming, and that there's going to be more and more supernatural encounters with folks, spiritual encounters with people, showing them the love of Jesus. And all of the things that Charlie's talking about, um, we get to carry with us as we meet other people. I've had many encounters in my car recently that have not been easy for me because I didn't want to go the extra mile and bless somebody. But that kindness that you were talking about can really minister to a person in a really hurting place. But what I want to encourage you with is it's not just for abiding place. Hmm. We are the church. Hmm. So every place that we go, every place that we set our foot, the places that we work, the people that we meet, the stores that we go to, we are stepping into that encounter possibility where we need to know all of those things that Charlie was just talking about. We need to be that safe person, not just for the people that come inside our doors where we're putting on uh, our best clothes, you know, we're putting our best foot forward. Oh, look, there's a stranger. Get him. Mm. No. I believe the Lord is expanding the territory that each of us have in our lives. He's expanding the authority that we have for those relationships, for those encounters with folks. And you have the very kingdom of heaven with you. And you are the, what's the word I'm looking for? You are the 
uh, I'll just, you're the bridge, you're the person that's carrying the kingdom of God into that encounter. Hmm. So I just wanted to share that before you. That's good. So let, let's go ahead and wrap up this way. Um, I can tell some of you were provoked, like I've been provoked by this message. And so if you feel that you need an injection of Holy Spirit empowerment in any of those four areas, or I don't care, any other area. You know, when we were up in Bremerton, they do something wonderful. They recognize the presence of God, they recognize the move of the Holy Spirit, and then they give room for the Holy Spirit in any service to be free, to bring healing, to bring deliverance, to bring you know, hope, revelation, whatever people need. I'm really praying about, and I ask for your prayer, help me, I wanna learn how to move more in the Spirit that way as well and set aside a sermon when it's time or to uh, extend worship when it's time but more than that to allow ministry in that atmosphere of faith and presence come on i, I we we need that especially you know with an area like this with these four areas if you feel you've got a tug on your heart that you want to grow in your ability to admonish to encourage to help or if you just need I, I know you know the danger of praying for patience, <laughs> but uh, we still need it. So if that's you, go ahead and stand up with me. I just want to pray a quick prayer of response, actually. Um, so, Lord, you see my heart. You see the heart of each person here. And, Lord, I believe this is a lifestyle of family. We're called to be mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, and so I just thank you that Paul and Silas and Timothy's instruction at the good report of your church thriving in Thessalonia was to continue on and to press in and learn how to admonish one another for breakthrough and for healing and for lies to be exposed, ways that people are out of alignment to bring them back into order in a way that will be healthy for them and all of those around them, God. I thank you that you can put courage in our hearts, Lord, as we learn to trust you and to speak to you and to draw out the, the glory that's in each person's life and heart. And when we get tired and faint-hearted, we don't need somebody beating us up. We need somebody cheering us on. And so help us see those strategic opportunities. And I pray a special prayer right now. I have faith to believe, God, you're going to open people's mouths listening today who want to speak prophetic words to bring encouragement, edification, and comfort, supernaturally empowered by your spirit to awaken people's hearts to reality. Ho! I just release that for anyone who has faith right now. You're going to make us powerful encouragers of each other. And Lord, when we are tired and we see somebody who has a need and they don't seem to be able to meet the need themselves and they are weak in whatever way we see, it's not our place to judge them. It's our place to ask what you would want us to do, what resource we have, what kindness we can show that would release your glory, your goodness, would be an expression of your goodness to that person specifically, that they would even know to say thank you to God more than thank you to us who have done the serving. And Lord, I thank you that you are giving us patience as you have been so long-suffering with each one of us, especially me and my boneheaded ways, God, I just, I kept waiting for you to be disappointed in me, but you've always just continued to welcome me with a smile and at times 
with confrontation and even discipline, but it's always undergirded by your love. I can't believe you're so patient to me. And yet I believe you want to awaken that same quality in my own heart, that my heart would match your patience. Your patience. And so help us all grow in that area as well, God. How give faith to each person who's standing and just receiving this prayer. Holy Spirit, you go in and now say what you want to say, reveal what needs to get revealed, correct what needs to be corrected, and empower us, God, to be the kind of family you desire us to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, that's a pretty darn good word, I got to say. We've got a couple of quick announcements. Hold on, hold on, wait, wait, before I lose you. Hold it, wait. All right, a couple of quick announcements. Um, I don't remember what they are. No, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow we have the trunk retreat, and so we'll have stations set up here in the sanctuary if it's raining. Miko will send out an email, so you'll know that. Uh, Christian Williams is coming on Friday at 7, and so Precious Daughters is hosting it. I have never heard the guy, but from what I hear, it's just going to be a really good time if you need to be refreshed. And Laurie, there's another one. What? Oh, and the pantry is on Saturday. So if you have never volunteered, please uh, feel free to come to the pantry at 9 o'clock uh, and get your instructions. And Eunice, you had something? Oh. Wow, you've been working with Miko, haven't you? Again, yeah. Yeah, and if you do have food for the trunk retreat or candy, you can still drop it off tomorrow around 5, because the trunk retreat's actually from 5.30 to 7.30, I believe. And then let's pray, pray for the offering just real quick. So, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to each one of us. We thank you for your patience in our boneheaded moments, and we thank you, Father, for this word. Just apply it to our hearts, and we just are so grateful that we can sow into your kingdom, see your work done through our hands, and provide for the needs of so many people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Sunday.